Revelation 3. Revelation 3, starting verse 14. The Word of God says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. Would, be, would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. That you may be rich in white garments, that you may clothe yourself, and faint and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes, that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be jealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord's day, and that you can hear us from your word, that you're able to correct us and equip us for every good work. We ask that you would give Dan boldness and clarity of mind as he preaches. We pray that you would protect us from the cares of this world, the temptations of Satan, and hardness of our own hearts. Help us to apply this word to our lives so we might know our heart. In his name we pray. come to the seventh and last church uh, that is written to here, the church in uh, Asia Minor, the seven churches, and as we come to this uh, last church, we come to the last sermon, this little nine-week series on the letters to seven churches, then I know all of God's Word speaks to us, it speaks to Christians, to the church. For me, this has been uh, especially encouraging and convicting at times to hear uh, Jesus' letters directed very much to us, to pastors, congregants, to the church, hear what the Lord has to say. I trust that we have been hearing it. We remember, just quickly remind us, this is written, these letters are written to the church in the last days, in the latter days that we have told. Between Christ's ascension and his soon return, we fall in this category promise from the very beginning is that Christ has overcome, and because of that, his church will overcome. So we, we have boldness and courage and good news from the outset. The church will overcome. And yet we see throughout that it is, will overcome, but not without its challenges. And not without many Christians, or I shouldn't say Christians, not without many people who uh, would think they belong to the church. And yet, we will see that they do not have faith that persevere. And so, in order to help us in our overcoming, first we are given a picture of Jesus Christ, the majestic, holy, glorious, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, head of His church. And then a diagnosis is made of each of these churches and their strengths and their weaknesses. And we see that we face opposition and from without. The church is being planted in the midst of darkness, and so there will be opposition. There will be persecution. And we know the church around the world, there are areas where there is great persecution. There will also be trials, then, that come from within. 
always bombarding the church, bombarding Christians, and, and where the subtle compromise of, of moving away from the truth, of, of losing the beauty of the gospel. Then we have our own problems, each of us, right? A lot of the sin principle that dwells within. And so, in our own weakness, in our own weakness of faith, and selfishness, and pride, there's division, and there's schism, and there's lack of love, and lack of care. And through all of this, the Lord looked at these seven churches that serve sort of an overview and a template for what are the strengths, what are the weaknesses that will come to this church. So quickly as we think of it, if you remember we came to Ephesus, the first church. Ephesus is a church that doctrinally is sound. They're getting it right. They're giving their hearts and their, their minds to studying the Scripture. And they're standing firm against false teaching that's rising up. And the Lord commends them for that. And yet at the same time, He says, but you've lost your love. You've lost your love for one another. You've lost your love for those who are outside of the church. This life that you have that you protect so dearly, you're also like hiding and suffocating. I'm going to take it away from you unless you learn to love. And so Ephesus, he tells them, you need to love. Then they get to Smyrna, and it's the persecuted church. It's what you would think of as 1040 persecuted uh, church window. And maybe you find it on the world watch list of Afghanistan and, and, and Korea, and then here we have Smyrna. They are a church that has lost leaders to martyrdom. They're suffering, they're persecuted, and yet they're remaining true to the Word. Jesus encourages them to be faithful. Be faithful. You come to Pergamum after that, and here you have a church that is vibrant, that's alive, it's got a lot of of energy and activity, and they're they're serving uh, those outside of the church, and and there is community. It's a vibrant, alive place. And yet he says, but subtly compromise has snuck into the church. You haven't been watchful, and, and false teaching has made its way in. And with that have become unholy, unchristian behaviors that you're allowing to take place within the church. And to them, he says, be discerning. You need to be discerning. And there they go to Thyatira, and there, here you have a church that is just as big-hearted and generous and warm-hearted as can be. You walk in the door and you feel like family. They're, they're, they're very loving that way. And yet they've gone a step further even than the other churches in that it, they have, have made room for false teaching. They've allowed a, a false teachers and, and, and a wicked ways of life, a whole different sort of way of, of sexual immorality to come within the church. And they've made room for it within the church. And it's watered it down to where they've almost lost the gospel. To that church, Jesus says, be doctrinal. Truth matters. You need to get it right. You need to fight false teaching. We continue through. We get to see Sardis is our fifth church. Sardis is an impressive looking church. Says that they have a reputation of being alive. They have things going on. People see them, and there's a facade that looks good. And Jesus has nothing good to say to them. Instead, he says, you, know, you have a reputation of being alive. You're dead. And to them, he says, wake up. Quit working so hard on the facade, on the reputation to those outside. 
God lets us part really fast. We come to Philadelphia where we were last week. You look at the church there and you just see the compassion and encouragement oozing out. He describes the church as a weak church, not not as an insult, but just they're small. They're insignificant. They're, no one's looking at them and is impressed at all. Also, the, the other religious communities in the area have oppressed them, and they're just they're beaten down. That they're yet they're faithful, but yet they remain true to the word to them as they're oppressed by. Now we get to the last church, Laodicea, and we'll see a church here who is is impressed with themselves. God is not impressed with them. Jesus is not impressed with them. It doesn't seem to 
there's not a lot of opposition to them. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of false teaching. He doesn't talk about immorality. He doesn't, he doesn't name anything specifically. They seem to just be floating by. They're very comfortable where they're at. They're not ever really moving out of that comfort zone at all. It's interesting that when you look at these letters, there's, there's two churches that receive no commendation. It's Sardis and Laodicea. And both of them, as Jesus writes, they're the most outwardly impressive. The churches, he talks about it being wealthy, but they, they, they have no need of anything. And yet when the Lord sees them, He sees that indeed they do have need of something. Let's jump into it. The Lord Jesus introduces himself in a specific way as he does to each letter that instructs us. So he does that in verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. He doesn't say Amen, it's that he is the Amen. That is, he is the, the validation, the confirmation of all of God's promises. Second Corinthians one twenty, we can see that all of their promises have their yes in their amen in Jesus Christ. That, that He validates that everything He says is utterly true and trustworthy. He's the yes and amen. He is the faithful and the true witness. He tells the truth about God. He tells the truth about us. He is the faithful and true witness. He is fully trustworthy. Really, he's the beginning of creation. And there can be some misunderstanding of that. It's not that he was the first thing created, the first in the sequence of creation. It means that he is the, the source, the, the, the archetype from which all of creation takes its shape. Colossians 1, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created both in heavens and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. I think it's also gesturing, gesturing to the fact, and we'll see later, Revelation chapter 21, 22, that He Himself inaugurates these creation. With His death and resurrection, of the new creation, he is the sovereignty of So we think of him as the beginning of creation, the beginning, the source, the inauguration of the new creation. So it's upon this that he then speaks into this church. What I am saying, all God's promises are validated in me. They are true. I am the true and faithful witness who my God is and who you are. You need to hear what I have to say. So he turns to Laodicea in verse 15, 16, probably the most familiar verses within these whole letters to the churches. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I do think sometimes there's a little misunderstanding here. It's not that hot means I'm on fire for the Lord and I'm super spiritual. 
cold means I'm very far away from the Lord or not spiritual at all. This is really bad. So that Jesus would be saying, you're in the middle somewhere, and I'd rather you just take the time. I think what he's saying here is, this church is useless. If you have hot water, it's good for something. It, it can sanitize things. You can, you can wash in that hot water. It brings some healing. If you have cold water, it's good for something. It's refreshing. It, it quenches that thirst. But you're neither of those things. You're, you're not doing anything useful. There's, no, there, there's nothing to, to look at you that brings honor to me. You're just epic. You're lukewarm. He's saying you're just existing. You're not learning. You're not growing. You're not serving one another. You're not risking. You're not seeking my faith. You're not dependent on me. Seems like so many people can get to. You reach a spot. You reach a good comfort zone. Feel like you've gotten spiritual enough, and I'm just sitting on cruise control for the rest of the way. I'm fine where I'm at. Don't rock the boat. I don't want anyone bothering me. I'm good. You're not learning. You're not serving anymore. You just, you sort of reach, you reach your destination long before you've got it. Where the Word of God, remember, Jesus is described that His voice roars like the thunder. It thunders out the storm. And as it roars forward, it's a sharp two-edged sword. Well, here is a church, here is a group of people, and, and a passage we see who no longer is the Word of God thundering and roaring through the Word of the pastor. No longer is a sharp two-edged sword. He's careless and casual. And either they're not listening at all, or they're just kind of in one ear, out the other, and they're just existing. And you see, a strong rebuke. You're either hot or cold. You're useless to me. You're distasteful to me. I will spit you out of my mouth. Recently, we were, oh, a couple weeks ago, we ran out of milk early in the morning, so I ran to Red Air, got some milk out of that. Poor son for Android, you know, lost weight. So, and a couple minutes later, he goes, "This milk is spicy." Now, in our family, if, if you put something in front of the kids, they got to eat it. It's a rule. But they've learned that if they say it's spicy, they can sometimes get out of eating it. So, we didn't believe all the spicy vegetables we have in our house. They're like, "Well, that is spicy." That. So I ignored him because I thought, oh, he just says one thing. No, for whatever reason, he didn't keep drinking it. It's not spicy. He took another drink. This time he spit it out. He's like, it's spicy. Anna went over and sure enough, it was spicy. It pretty curdled and, and looked nasty. And he, he had that, it's just that distasteful. He had it in his mouth. He couldn't even keep that second drink. He spit it out. Oh, i got to get rid of this. He said, your tepid Christian life is dishonoring and displeasing. I have nothing good to say about you. If you were at least hot, you'd be good for something. If you were cold, you'd be good for something. The rest of the churches, they, they, God's had, or Jesus has had negative things to say about them, correction, because they've gone off track, but at least they're moving somewhere. They've just gone off track and he's trying to bring them back and correct them. These people are stagnant. 
whether that is intelligence, whatever it is that you find successful, you find strength in and security, that you start to forget your need of a Savior. You start to forget your need and dependence upon the Lord. And you become like this church and just think, I don't need it. I'm good. And you'd be blown away if someone told you you're in desperate. In their weakness, some of these churches see it more evidently. We'll see what the Lord brings into their life. But it is these moments, like we talked about, the last couple years, on top of it, the, the hardships that people walk through at Redeemer, the, the things that are just in your face that hopefully bring you to a point that says, you're not in control. You're not as strong as you think. You're, you're not self-sufficient like you think. You are poor, you are weak, you need a Savior. So we see what the Lord, as He continues here, says to His church. Again, almost being ironic and juxtaposition here. says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. Again, we're not purchasing grace from the Lord. He's speaking of, you think that you've bought everything you need and you don't need anything else. I'm telling you what you really need. It's gold refined by fire. That is a life that is purified by trial. Faith that is tested. Purification by fire, that is always the imagery. We've seen that in First Peter. That the Lord brings various trials. Remember what it says in First Peter? He brings it when it's necessary. Necessary for what? For your faith. And when necessary, He brings it for a moment, for a season. Some people that's a short season, some people that's a very long season. situation, or you need to be able to realize you need me. You need that faith that is tested and refined by fire. You need people around you who will push you in that direction, who will correct you. The ease is not what you need. You need faith that is purified, tested by the Lord. He goes on, buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. White garments yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen again. Their sense of prosperity and success and they have arrived. And he says, no, whatever it is you're clothed in, whatever you think it is that has made you successful and you don't need anything, that is unfitting garment for the kingdom of God. You need to clothe your nakedness by righteousness, by white gold. Some of you have seen through Revelation and then he continues with the last one, salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. They look at themselves and they say they're good. He says, I need to bring something into your life that you might see. He continues then in verse 19. really gives the explanation 
interest in growing in that area of our lives, growing in that area of our church. That's then what has been said. But what we have to do is what he says in each letter to the church. Be here to the Jewish section of church. Don't just immediately dismiss it. Don't just immediately reinterpret it so it doesn't step on your toes in any way. Don't forget, Christ is in our midst. If you're not a Christ who just deeply walks around trying to validate anything you think about. J.D. and I were talking before service about some song lyrics in the song and how they just make Jesus seem so sort of needy and pathetic and that he just he needs it so badly. And we can sometimes think about Christ that way. John, Jesus through John, gives us this vision of Christ that is altogether different than that. So that we'll hear what he's saying to the churches. And again, when you repent, it doesn't have to be that you are devastated and blown away. So that you hear it. And confess sin and go after life of renewed godliness. Verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Again, he's still talking to believers. He's still talking to the ones who love. I think it's a misunderstanding that this is an evangelistic act. I think this is a renewing your fellowship with the Lord. So he is not abandoned you. But he's providing warning, he's providing promise to one who gets zealous in the sense the Lord is there. Fellowship can be can be restored in a familiar way. Again, not mixing categories of justification and sanctification. But he stands there ready to, to give the, the comfort that is needed, to give the rebuke that is needed, to speak into your heart in your life, to vindicate the truth that he loves you. That he'll give you that gold defined by the fire, the white garment that is needed. And so he stands ready. He is, he is ready to Before I get to the last point, one misunderstanding that I, I read a little bit of this text, and I, I just want to guard against is this idea again of hot and cold, and then repentance and zealous after the Lord. That, that this doesn't turn into a purely affections and emotions text. That when I say you need to be hot or cold, the idea that man, I need to be like so excited about the Lord, I'm just not. Some of us just are geared less that way. There should be affection that you have for the Lord. But it doesn't always manifest that you're just pumping your fist so... Some people, they're geared that way. You have them around and they bring much seated life and energy to a church. But not everyone is geared that way. This text isn't about your energy. It's about your dependence life. It's about hearing the Word and allowing it to speak into your heart, that you'll be a good listener, as the, the, the parable of the soil tells us. You will hear it such a way that it takes root in our heart. It's not choked out immediately by carelessness of the world. And we want to get the sense of that. We hear what the Lord is saying to us and to the church. Finally, we come to the promise. Verse 
might we be loving and work in our church body. Lord, might we be faithful. Lord, might we have friendship. Lord, might we be godly. Might we press on press on. And might we be open. Lord, with your growing